2: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know that what I'm really up to here on this show is to bring you guests that are meaningfully connected to their work in some way. Describe how they got there, what do they love about it, all those kind of good things that might be useful and educational for you, and maybe even a little bit inspirational. I also bring on authors, though, of course, who have written about the subject of work in a way that I think makes sense, or there's something there that I think is useful for you, something that you can take home and use immediately. So what I've really enjoyed about serving as your host is I've met all kinds of great people that maybe I wouldn't otherwise meet if I wasn't your host. And I do want to share some fun news along those lines is that Voice America is adding my show to the permanent lineup. So I'll be with you for at least the next year or so. So keep coming back. I love your comments, by the way, your questions by email, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Keep those coming, too. So if you missed us last week, our our guest was Annette Anderson, and she narrated her story of going from healthcare executive to spiritual teacher over the course of several years. And what was interesting about her story, I think, is that she found out when she got promoted to the executive role that it really wasn't all it was cracked up to be. So she started looking for other avenues of fulfillment and really went down the path of developing her own spirituality. And that was when she realized she was called to be a spiritual teacher, and that's what she's been doing ever since. So like always, um, if you missed a show, you can always go back to the archives and listen to it that way anytime, anytime you want. So, this week we have the distinct pleasure of talking with author and entrepreneur Dan Schauble. And he is the founder of Workplacetrends.com, which is a research and advisory membership service for forward thinking HR professionals. He is also the managing partner of Millennial Branding, which is a Gen Y research and consulting firm. And finally, as if he weren't busy enough, he's also the author of two books. One is called Promote Yourself, the other is Me 2.0. And as a quick side note, I always like to say how I meet my guests. I have been following Dan for quite some time. Uh, we are connected on LinkedIn. I followed his career here and there. I bought his book, Pr- Promote Yourself, and, and curled up when I was on vacation a couple years ago and, and read every single last word of it. And one of the great pearls I got from that book, by the way, and thanks, Dan, is that he he suggests that you reserve your own name as a domain name. So that I did that, and that's how I actually have my, my website today, EliseCortez.com. One of the many things I got from you, Dan, welcome to the show.
3: Really
4: happy to be here. Thanks for having me on.
2: Well, so i got a ton of questions for you, of course. All kinds of things I want to know about you here. This is my chance. Um, first things first, um, I, I, I want to get to all of the things that you're doing business-wise. But before we get there, I want to learn more about how you even got to where you are. Um, the story you got out of college, how you started your career. Can you kind of narrate for us that original path, that early path of, of how you got into the world of work?
4: Sure. So 13 years old, my I started working uh, doing Uh, catering for my temple uh, locally in Newton, Massachusetts. And then my first internship was senior year of um, high school and I was doing cold calling and didn't like it at all. And I ended up figuring that I wanted to do marketing and more creative work instead of just picking up a phone, you know, hundreds of times every day and not closing any sales. And then, And then I had seven more internships at Bentley University. It was Bentley College back then. Um, You know, I learned how to market myself, so I would, you know, have a, you know, business card, a website, uh, references, document, a cover letter, and a resume when I was going in to interviews. I'd also have a CD portfolio back when people used CDs. (laughs) <laughs> and that I use all these tools to market myself in interviews and to stand out and to show them that I was prepared because the number one complaint that employers have is that students are unprepared for interviews. And that's what we found in the city last year. Um, so, you know, just learn how to market myself. That was a lot of rejection thinking to call my college of my choice in the beginning. So I did you know, an on-campus interview. I wrote them a letter. I got straight from my last semester. I, I built a stronger brand, so I was more valuable to the school, if you could say that. And then I didn't get my job. Um, I tried to get an internship at Reebok. and It took over a year to get, but I eventually got that too. Um, and then I tried to get a job with EMC Corporation for when I graduated. It took eight months, meeting 15 people for three different jobs until I got... Um, until I got that job. And, you know, I had a two page resume, I had eight internships. I had started a small consulting company um, my sophomore year of college uh, doing websites for local businesses. Um, and, then, and then, so I got the job at EMC and outside of work, uh, you know, I started a blog. So I got the job July 2000. Uh, 2016, and then I started my first blog called Driven to Succeed on, uh, in October, and I was just blogging regularly, you know, six, eight times a week, and then about how to, you know, get internships, what mistakes I made, uh, networking tips, and and then it was March 14, 2007, I read Tom Peters' famous brain called You Article, which was written in 1997. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the cover of Fast Company magazine, it was the brain called you that inspired, has inspired my whole career and way of thinking. Uh, I was already marking myself. I was already kind of learning all this, but when I when I read his articles, it kind of brought it to life for me and it gave me, you know, gave me that third party perspective uh, that what I was doing was was uh, really smart and wise and would allow me to push forward in my career. Uh, so I was just doing Google searches. I didn't see anyone else my age that was talking about personal branding. So that was my first niche to be the millennial uh, a spokesperson talking about uh, personal branding. And within those six months, I had the blog. I was blogging 10 to 12 times a week um, with no readers. I, was, I started a magazine <laughs> called Personal Branding Magazine. I started an online TV show called Personal Branding TV. I started writing articles. My first article was on about.com and then the American Marketing Association site and then eventually Brand Week magazine. Um, and I was doing. I launched the Personal Brand Award to give recognition to people who were already successful uh, using technology to build their brands. Um, and so I was really early on all those social networks, building followings on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. So on all those networks, I have you know tens of thousands of of followers and connections at this point. And fast company profiled me after the six months when the when the first issue of Entrepreneur Magazine came out, um, and that turned into Google inviting me to speak at their headquarters. I was twenty twenty three years old, I believe. Google inviting me to speak at their headquarters, as well as um, me being recruited internally to be the first social media. Specialist in the company, uh, and the company was EMC. And I went from product marketing to online marketing to, to the creating the social media position. And it was really, really transformational because instead of coming into work and saying, "Oh, what would you like me to do," it was people asking me for help. Um, me being the subject matter expert at EMC, and that was part of what Tom Peters had written about. He said the smartest employees created a un- own unique position within their company, and so. I had kind of fulfilled what he was writing about, and that was, that to me, you know, meant a lot, and and it showed that I was moving in the right direction. Still, I was but I was getting a lot more inquiries to speak at various Fortune five hundred companies and do consulting, coaching for, you know, entrepreneurs, authors, you know, comedians, all executives, all types of people. Um, so I left and, and launched my company, uh, which is originally a personal brand coaching and kind of online. Agency back in um, January 2010, and then from there I got really into research, um, and I transitioned from just personal branding to really focusing on millennials and their impact on society, especially in the workplace. So I did a lot of primary research. Now I've done 22 studies on the workplace, most of which focused on generations. Um, you know, speaking to a lot of companies and and, uh, you know, supporting a lot of, a lot of people in that respect and helping my generation from a standpoint of training, training courses and books. And I want, I got my first book deal. It took, uh, eight months, 70 out of 70 agents rejected me, uh, as well as two publishers. I got it on my own. And then it took three and a half years to get my second book deal. Uh, my first book was me 2.0. The second book is promote yourself. And, I fired two agents, hired four consultants, uh, three book proposals later, you know, barely got the book deal, the entire launch of my own of both books. So both books are in 15 languages. I got almost all the languages on my own by building relationships overseas, Um, and the second book was on the New York Times and Wall Street Journalist. I did all of those campaigns from scratch as well. I marketed the book 10 months in advance both times. Um, so, you know, learned a lot, you know, the idea is to help millennials at every phase of their careers. Me 2.0 is their transition from, um, you know, college to first job and promote yourself with first job to management. So following them along that path while helping, uh, companies create stronger work cultures through research. And that gave rise to my current venture, which is WorkplaceTrends.com. It's the... You know, basically, research service that supports companies through you know, the studies I do and the studies that get published on a daily basis. So it's part aggregator and then part primary research that, that is done ongoing. And so by the end of this year, it will be nearing 30 primary research studies, uh, some of which are global, some of which are uh, U.S. only. And so basically, trying to learn as much as I can and to help companies through the, those learnings and really figure out. Uh, where the workplace is heading and preparing companies for for the future
2: oh my gosh dan i am exhausted listening to that account i mean how in the world did you do all this i mean i I, i've done the math i think i know how old you are but will you tell us how old you are 31 okay you're 31 years old and you've done all this by age 31 I, i i've just got a couple of drill down questions that i gotta ask given that account where in the world does all the energy and drive come from
4: you know, I think that it came from my parents and my grandfather. My grandfather he would always call me, you know, every few days and say, oh, what have you done and what are you doing? And I always felt like I had to kind of come up with something new and so kind of made me want to work harder to kind of impress him. And then my dad, you know, and his brother were workaholics. I mean, they'll work until they're dead. And my, uncle, my uncle's 75 almost 75, and he's going to be launching another business. Um, and so it's kind of like a work for life as a family um, and work, you know, as young as possible to get a leg up in the future. That's kind of the, the manifesto in my family. And part of me almost wishes that everything I know now, I knew when I was you know, younger so I could take advantage of it. Uh, the idea being the sooner you start, the bigger advantage you have in the future, because, you know, you can start to form the foundation and the building blocks, which will help you for the rest of your life. And so, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of what I believe. And I think that's where we're going into society, too, is people making career choices when they're younger in life and preparation for the future. Mm -hmm.
3: Um,
4: So that's why I always tell people is they get as much experience as you can as early as possible so you can make better decisions later in life.
2: Mm-hmm. What's also fascinating about the story you narrated for me, Dan, is that even though you really, I think in so many huge ways, had an enormous leg up and that you knew how to promote yourself, you knew how to walk in with your resume, your business cards, your portfolio, all this sort of thing, you still had a, it was a long journey getting that first job. And so all the more reason I think someone like you is very well positioned to write the books that you did and teach us the importance of promoting ourselves. I I think that is incredibly important. One of the most important things that I got out of both of your books. Um, But would you say more? I, I think you said in an earlier conversation that we had that you understood this idea early on in your life. You were pretty young when you got this concept that you had to find a way to promote yourself. How old were you and how did you learn it?
4: Yes, yeah, so I think it just all became very natural to me, and to be honest, I think part of it is because I'm, I'm an only child, so it's, you know, you know, I would kind of require the most amount of attention because I was the only one. Um, <laughs> so the idea of self-promotion is pretty easy when, you know, you're the person who's used to kind of getting everything, and I don't mean getting everything as, like, everything is paid to you, it's just in terms of attention. Um, so mm-hmm. the idea of me getting attention is, is nothing new because that's what it was like when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's interesting is I'm an introvert, so I've I've really had to push myself out of the comfort zone in order to pull all of this off because, you know, it's not easy being an introvert on TV. It's not easy speaking to thousands of people as an introvert. I mean, a lot of these things were huge fears when I was in high school. Um, and so I had to shed all of these fears and kind of rise to the occasion, uh, you know, as much as possible in order to be able to build what I've built.
2: I can't let that go down. That is so, so important. In the work that I do with with workshops and presentations, I do a lot of work with technical audiences that are also introverted. So what you just said there could be extremely useful to people out there that are struggling with being an introvert and yet have to interact in, in social settings. How did you overcome that? How did you How did you deal with that and come through the other side? I'm sure it's still not comfortable for you, but you've managed it. So how did you do it?
4: I think the secret is picking a topic you really care about and investing a lot of time in it because then it just becomes something that you feel comfortable in. And so, you know, the best way to gain confidence is to be such an expert at it that that you lose the fear that you'll make a mistake because you know it so well.
2: Hmm. That is brilliant advice, Dan. I really appreciate that. You know, going for something you, that you're passionate about to be able to try to overcome some of those fears—that is, that's really terrific. I knew I'd get a lot of pearls from you. Um, one other thing I want to—I want to get before we have to go on break here. I, you have mentioned, of course, Tom Peters, and I read that in your book. Well, I think it's in Promote Yourself. You talk about the important influence you got from him. But do you have any other important influences or mentors that really mattered to you along the way besides your family?
4: I would say in terms of the publishing world, David Meerman Scott, I think some of his advice early on was extremely valuable of don't expect the publisher to support you. You have to, you know, market the book yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that was really important because a lot of people get caught in thinking the publisher is going to, you know, get you on TV and do all these things for you and they don't do anything and so you end up being left stranded and if you mess up one book, you'll never get a deal again. Mm-hmm. So you really can't afford to, to make any mistakes. There's a lot of pressure. Like if you go on TV, if you make a mistake on TV, you're blackballed. I mean, it's extremely high pressure for everyone. Um, so you've got to learn as much as you can as early as possible so you don't make those mistakes later on. You know, if, if your first, if your first uh, you know media inquiry is from the Today Show, you're at risk because you've never been on TV before. You've yeah. never done an interview before. So it's much better to start small, do, like, local TV or local, you know, newspapers so you get the hang of it. So once, you get, once it gets bigger, you know, it's less, it's less risky for everyone involved. Um, starting small is very, really important. You know, I was always about taking a niche, finding an area where there's less competition, becoming the best at it, and then promoting it. <laughs>
2: That's uh, amazing. I love the niche piece, which we're going to pick up after the break. It is time for our first break. I'm, I'm Elise Cortez, your host. I've been on the air with Dan Shabel, He has been sharing his own experience about his early journey in his career and how he's gotten to where he is today. After the break, we're going to learn more about the, his two books and his recent offering of um, WorkplaceTrends.com. Stay with us.
1: To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose.
0: Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. It's your world.
1: Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A L I S E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose.
2: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the program. We're on air with Dan Schauble, who is the author of Promote Yourself and Me 2.0 and is also the founder of WorkplaceTrends.com. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. I want to pick up where we left off before the break. You were talking about the importance of establishing a niche, Dan, and that I, I think you've written that in Promote Yourself pretty strongly. I love that idea. And, and you've really, as I could see it, called that out as a pretty important point to focus on in your career. Would you say a little bit more about that before we talk about your current works?
4: Yeah, you need to be the best at what you do for a specific audience. It's actually in both books. One okay. is more in a general context in the 2.0, and promote yourself it's in a workplace context, meaning that you have a job. Now you have to be known in your company for something, so you can create value and and uh, build a strong network around your brand, around your career.
2: Mm-hmm. So you got to pick something I, I, and put your stake it's down. Like in,
4: when, I was, when, I was, when I was doing social media at BMC, I was known as the social media expert for the company, so... You know, a company of 45,000 people. There was like 22 acquisitions. And so all these companies reached out to me for help. So that created mm-hmm. more value for me.
2: Mm-hmm. For such a great such a great idea. And, you know, I also love what you're saying, the idea of creating value for yourself. I, I really, sometimes when I go out and, and speak to younger audiences, I, I know that's a hard point for them to get their, their arms around. And I, I think it's really, and you, you do it beautifully in both of your books. Um, so I, I really think that's one of the things that I took from it as well, making sure that you know your value. So to that end, I, I wanna do, do want to get into both of the, the books, Dan. They're both, um, there, there are some similarities between the two, book, the two books, but they're also different in, in, in their, own re, their, their own respects. Starting with Me 2.0, will you tell us, how did you get this idea to even write this book? And, what, and, and there, I know there's a voice element in there that I want to get to as well, but where did the idea come from?
4: Sure. So basically it came from the idea that I was using social networks to build my own personal brand. I went from someone who no one knew to someone at least some of the you know portion of the population knew through focusing on one topic for one audience for a long period of time. You know, for my first year, no one read my blog. You know, one of my friends commented, my parents maybe commented a few times, and that's it. (laughs) But after three years, I had 20,000 readers. So, I mean... the point is, is that you have to really like what you're doing in order to put enough energy to even see any residual results. Uh, people want, you know, people are always looking for to get rich quick. They want immediate results, um, but it really takes a long time in order to build a following, to build a brand, to build anything. And so, you know, I was always in it for the long term. I, I, I get behind topics that I know will only become more important, and I can basically guarantee that because. You know, I've done the research. So personal brain, the idea of marketing yourself will only become more important because, you know, the world, is, is it's much more noisy. It's not like there's going to be less content in five years than there is today. So as there's more noise and more competition, the idea of marketing yourself, gaining visibility and uh, kind of establishing yourself uh, is only going to be more important. The idea of millennials being, you know, really important in the workplace, that's not going to die because millennials will be, The majority of the workplace, you know, in the future, they'll be 75% by 2025, right, in 10 years. And so, you know, that is a winner too. You know, the third book is going to play off the idea that 20 million baby boomers are retiring in the next five years. You know, and so it'll come out hopefully in four or five years when this happens, and it'll show companies how they can fill the leadership gap with the next generation, the generation that resists those top-level positions. Um, and so I think timing is important, but I also think that choosing things where you have the research to show that it's definitely going to happen and, and something that can't be argued um, is really important. And that's what I played off of.
2: Well, the other thing that I find interesting about you, Dan, just listening to you talk there is, yeah, it's great to that you have this idea. A lot of people can come up with the idea of the, here's a good strategy, this makes sense to pursue this. But what, when I listen to you talk maybe a big differentiator is that you just are so persistent. You just don't let it go. A lot of people would have quit writing their blog after three months, two weeks, whatever, but you went at it for a full year. And I think that, I don't know to what extent, I don't remember that being in your books. I'm sure it is. But do you talk about that in your books, The, the importance of that just sheer persistence and grit that seems to be so important today?
4: Yeah, I think people, I think when I tell my story, I mean, if you Google, you know, how I got my book deal, so my name and my book deal, or how I became a best-selling author, or something like that, uh, you'll see the whole story uh, from nothing to two books, and it just shows you that it's extremely hard, and it's always been this huge challenge for me. Um, I've really had a ton of rejection, I mean, an insane amount, more than even some of my entrepreneurial friends have. I mean, you know, even to get a when I used to try and get studies funded for my, my second book in 2013, I got rejected over 100 times. So I had to wow. end up with over 100 rejections. But, I mean, it's the usual for me. So if I get rejected 100 times, I, that is something that is not shocking anymore. I mean, that's part of, the, part of my process at this point. You know, in order for something good to happen, I need to go through a lot. And so, this, and so it typically happens that I go through all these obstacles because every single time I accomplish something, I always aim for something greater. And when I do that, no matter what my status is in the industry, it's a huge obstacle. And because timing's important, how you sell your... There's so many elements to making something work that it requires a lot of effort. And regardless of where you are... I mean, you could talk to the Tim Ferriss, the, you know Dan Pink, all these really successful people, and they'll say the same thing, that it's still a struggle. It's always a struggle, and we don't, we're not actually sure what works. So we all have to constantly test and experiment and, and kind of uncover the new, the new uh, trends uh, as quick as possible so we can adjust.
2: Mm. So along those lines, Dan, do you think when you're out speaking to the millennials or any population for that matter, let's first start with the millennia- millennials, do you think that most most young people coming out of college, maybe f- right now today, do you think they really understand just how hard that, that the battle is to get a job and get your traction? And, and, and then the second question for any you know, people at large, do you think people really understand that or are they shocked by it or what what do you think?
4: Well, I think people have a pretty good understanding of how competitive it is now because you can't turn on the TV without listening to how competitive and how tough the job market is. Uh, so that, I don't think that's a problem. I think the, the difficulty is once you get your job, you stop networking. You stop the things that you did to get that job in the first place.
3: Mm-hmm, that's so That's a true huge
4: mistake. Um, and I call it, you know, we're, we're really headed into an economy where it's a continuous job search series. People are always looking for the next great opportunity, and the only way to pull that off um, is to keep establishing that network even when you don't need to use it and tap into it. Too many people shut off when they get a job because they get what they want so they don't need something right now. But then uh-huh. when you need something, you don't have everything in place to enable you to move from that one position to the next. Mm-hmm. So always, you always have to be, you know, networking, seeing new opportunities, testing new things out, um, challenging yourself. And if you're not, you're not growing, and you're not protecting yourself. The greatest protection that I've always done, I've done since the beginning, is that I've networked with so many people through all the projects that I've done. That if everything went to pieces to me uh, for me tomorrow, there's so many people I could reach out to that I'm protected.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, so,
4: you know, doing great projects, meeting a lot of people, it protects you in the long term because you have established a reputation and people would pay for that reputation. Um, so, but if you close yourself off because you, know, you just got a job, then you're at risk because so many, life is too unpredictable at this point. Your company could get acquired. There could be a layoff the company could go under you don't know what could happen tomorrow so you always have to prepare for the future today
2: Mm -hmm. that is brilliant advice dan i couldn't agree more with you and i know it's hard when we want to get into our jobs and put our heads down and just really work at it and we do forget the the network sometimes i've seen it time and again and then it's like oh my gosh i'm gonna be laid off or i i gotta get a new opportunity and my network is 10 years old now and i haven't done anything with it I think that is really, really terrific sound advice that we continue that process. And what about for the introverts? Is it a harder job for the introverts to keep that up, or what do you think?
4: My strategy as an introvert is I find the people I want to associate with online, and then I meet them offline. Okay. So using the online world, because it's more comfortable for introverts, to create uh, real-life situations. Basically networking online to meet offline. Okay online as a filter to find the right people to then meet offline
2: Mm -hmm. i like that that's great Um, one of the things that you said in promote yourself you may have said it in 2.0 as well meet 2.0 but I, i didn't catch it if you did but you said in that book that you recognized that you could become the voice of the millennial generation and that you could actually speak on their behalf which i thought was amazing that you had that realization i want to know how did you get that realization and and how old were you when you did
4: I just figured, I figured it out before my peers did, you know, and then I started writing for my peers to help them. You know, I think people really appreciated the fact that I was just honest about, you know, what really goes on in companies. A lot of people complain about minimum wage and all these different dilemmas in the workplace, but they don't see it from the corporate perspective of why that's actually happening, you know, why you know, unpaid internships happen. Um, and so I try and explain exactly from the corporate perspective of why certain things happen and certain things don't. For instance, if you're not asking for a promotion, if you're not asking for a raise, then there's no reason for the company to give you one.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, you know, and, and if you're not, you, you, you're not going to get promoted unless you're doing more than what you did yesterday, meaning that, you know, if you're hired to do A, B, and C, you need to do D, E, and F if you want to get promoted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if when, you don't, then there's asked. no reason to promote you because you haven't taken on more work and responsibilities.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So there's a logic to everything. Minimum wage, you know, if they increase minimum wage by $5, let's say, people are going to get laid off because talent is the largest expense for a company. But a lot of people don't know those those uh, elements to how work gets done and whatnot. And so I like to just be honest with people and say, you know, there might be issues you know, in our economy and with layoffs, and you know, bad job market and people, you know, not not getting the, you know, offers, promotions that they want, but there's reasons behind that, and you have to investigate those reasons, and you have to make, you know, really good decisions. And, and that's why having so many internships when I was younger really helped because I learned how to deal with adults. I learned, you know, what the expectations of the workplace were. So once I finally got a job, it was, like, not a big deal for me. Um, and, but then, then I had a transition from a full-time job to my own company and that was another challenge. So there's only the challenges. And, uh, I think that, you know, to confront these challenges is really important. It's part of growing up, but it's also, will make you a lot better in the future because everything you do now will help you build to, uh, have a better long-term career. Uh, the choice is, you know, you always want to be doing something. That's something that I really always tell people is no, res- you can't have resume gaps. Uh, you know, if you're if you're jobless right now, do a freelance project. You know, create a website for yourself. Do something. Because if you're not doing anything, you're not practicing your skills. And it, it comes off to employers that you're going to be desperate and that you're, you're not as valuable because you're not currently working on projects. So create projects for yourself if you're looking for a job.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. You know, along those lines, Dan, I have to ask you, uh, you, you're 31 years old, you've done all these things, you clearly have an entrepreneur mindset. Could you imagine yourself going back to work for some company at at some point?
4: I think it's hard. The problem with working (laughs) for a company is that it's really limited. That's the problem, meaning that, you know, to do outside projects while working for a company is hard. I did it. I sacrificed nights and weekends while working full-time for a Fortune 200 company it's very difficult because the, the full-time job has to come first. And uh, there's, there's certain things you can not and can't say online because you have that full-time job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, it can be a very, very complicated scenario.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: and so going back to work for a company, you're going from somebody who you know, can start a project tomorrow you know, and basically have a full reign and do whatever they want to somebody who's confined to a certain job description for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, and that can be very, very tough.
3: Um, mm-hmm. You
4: know, a lot of entrepreneurs are unemployable. Some people do go back to full-time jobs, but it can be very tough because you're used to doing everything very quickly and companies move much slower.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I thought you may say something like that. I'm not surprised, but I, I had to ask. And it does kind of help me queue up to the next thing I want you to talk about, if you will, is your latest offering in the marketplace, workplacetrends.com. Where did that come from? What is it about? What are you trying to do?
4: Sure. So, WorkplaceTrends.com, I did so much research. I did 22 studies. And (laughs) it's my ability to basically, you know, monetize the research that I've done and to uh, make it easier for people to make decisions and find all the resources and information they need in one single site uh, and make better decisions. Uh, You know, I think that in terms of the value proposition, it's, People don't have much time, you know, especially HR executives. If zero time, and because they have zero time, um, they don't have time to look at a million different sources. But they need to know, they need to have information in their industry and keep keep track of what's working, what's not working, and they need to make more decisions based on data. So that's how the that's how the membership service is born. Is that you know if I have all this data. Um, every single day I spend an I spend for the best eight years, I've spent an hour collecting the latest research. So it's basically doing what I would normally do, but building a service around it. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't but, like, you know, and I bought the domain name two years ago, thinking that someday I would use it. And then January fourteenth, I use it.
2: I, I think it's brilliant that what you just said there—that you you just you you did what you would normally do anyway on your own and build a business around it. I think that is. Such a phenomenal idea, and the way you say that, of course, it does make sense to monetize that effort later on via via the service. Um, Your mind just works differently, Dan. I mean, it's just interesting. What is your education, by the way?
4: Uh, I went to Bentley University for four years. Okay. And no master's degree, nothing. I was going to go in that direction, but it just didn't make sense because of, you know, the book happened and certain things deterred me from going to graduate school.
2: Um, so, so back on the on, on the portal, I've seen this side, the workplace trend side, a little bit. I've done some some digging around in there, and I, I very much like the way that it's organized. And the other thing I like about it is it is easy to access the information. The data is there, and it's kind of bite sized chunks, if you will, for people that have got maybe five minutes or ten minutes to kind of peruse. Um, what do you think? So imagine that there's somebody just looking at this, and we have to go to on, on break here in just about a moment. So I'm have to pick it up after the break as well, but. What do you think high-level are people getting out of your, your your service?
4: Well, they're following the latest trends, but also it helps them make better decisions, and they're able to use the research and the graphs and everything that's provided in order to build business cases to enlist programs in their company. So like a workplace flexibility program, we have a ton of research on that. I did, we did a study in February about it. You know leadership development programs. We just did a study last month about it, um, so we have the data and the insights in order for you know HR professionals to build presentations to you know get budget to solve problems that work and that benefit workers and the company.
2: Got it. Got it. I I, I wanted you to say that specifically, especially the graphs and such, because I think that's really compelling. It is time for a short break again here. I am Elise Cortez, your host. I've been on the air here with Dan Schauble, and we've been talking about his latest offering here, WorkplaceTrends.com. After the break, I want to hear more about his future and where he's going. Stay with us. Want more positivity in your life? Are you ready to get healthy, happy, and energized? Join the Stella Donna Goddess Gals, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany, for a power hour of stimulating, supportive conversation on Star Style. Be the star you are. A lineup of best-selling authors, celebrities, and experts. Join the effervescent mother-daughter dynamic duo in this upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio playground star style be the star you are wednesdays 4 to 5 p.m pacific 7 to 8 p.m eastern on the voice america empowerment channel lend us your
1: ears it's power time follow us on twitter for more great ideas at voice america empowerment this is working on purpose with elise cortez
2: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Dan Schauble, who is the author of Me 2.0 and promote yourself, and also the founder of Workplacetrends.com. Before the break, I was asking him to talk about that latest offering that he he launched in January. And now I'm really interested in hearing what's next for you, Dan? What's what's on the horizon for you? Where where are you going next in your in your career?
4: Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of a lot of the same. You know, building up to a third book eventually on leadership, but you know, you'll see just new studies coming out this year: one on office design, one on uh, the next generation of leaders, one on um, workplace innovation and technology. So, covering a lot of topics that are very, you know, profound and interesting, and what you know my audience is looking for and technologies that are not just impacting the workplace but in a sense the world because the way in which we work has a big impact on people's lives. I mean, people are working on average the full-time salaried worker is working 49 hours a week now on average. Right. And so, you know, people are working longer hours than ever before. The Workday has been completely revolutionized through technology and, you know, the way in which people access their work and when they work has changed and so, You know, I love to explore that because if you can figure out how to build a better workplace, people's personal lives will improve as a result. And so that connection is really important to me because, um, you know, I struggle with the same similar similar problems that full-time workers struggle with as well.
2: It's hard to imagine you struggling with anything, but I, I, that does make me want to ask you, uh, you know, when I think about, you talked about being, having to overcome so many obstacles and lots of failure and, and lots of resistance and such, but is there something you can point to in your, in your in your career that you feel like, this is the hardest thing I had to do? Is there something you can you can share with us that you feel like this was the hardest thing?
4: The hardest thing that happened was, or that has happened, has happened repeatedly in my life is. You know, I get a lot of no's before I get a yes. Sometimes it could take a few months. Sometimes it could take a few years. Um, But for some reason, something inside of me just keeps pushing, keeps pushing forward regardless of what the odds are and what people say. And uh, that's kind of a testament to, you know, my own work ethic and my belief in myself. Um, And there's no, for me, it's never been one, you know, direct path to success. It's been you know, figuring it out as it have gone along. I think a lot of entrepreneurs would agree that that's their path, too, is we don't know everything, even if we have the resources. It's, you know, you just don't know what could work and what doesn't work, and so testing things out, experimenting, um, and, and trying to maximize you know, your potential through your work is extremely important.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, um, and that kind of makes me think of another thing here. Well, I would—I tell you what, Dan, you'd be great to interview for the, the work that I've been doing around meaning and work in relation to identity. I've, I spent the last three years focus on, focusing on that and really having very in-depth conversations with people about their, how they experience their work and why is it important to them and where are they in their work. And I want to ask that a little bit of you here, if we can. I, I I want to understand where are you in your work? I mean, you've talked about you know, work is kind of a way of life. It sounds like in your in your family, and I totally understand that. To give you what I, more of what I'm kind of talking about here, when I think about work, for me, Dan, uh, I am I'm kind of a self focused person. I love love connecting with people. Obviously, I have the show, but I really am interested in trying to understand what. How can I realize my own potential? And so work for me is really one of the most important things in my life that allows me to realize my potential. It's a vehicle for me to realize my potential. That's how I see it. Um, how, do you, how do you position work for yourself? And, you know, where is Dan in his work?
4: Yeah, you know, I think it's really important because, you know, your success at work makes you more happy in your personal life. Um, but, you know, of course, you know, there's such a roller coaster with being an entrepreneur because you could have a good day, then a bad day. For me, it's a good three hours and have a bad fourth hour and then my fifth hour would be good and kind of all across the board. So, you know, it can be really tough for people to take, you know, a lot of projection um, and then still persevere. I think that I'm so used to it happening that I've built up a, a pretty strong tolerance for failure at this point.
2: Mm-hmm. You know the other thing that I've noticed about you, Dan, just in the, the short exchanges we've had leading up to the show here, is I don't know anybody who responds faster to email than you.
4: <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, I, the, my the only one my literary age responds really fast, but I think I have him be too.
2: And what's up with that? Why? Why? Why does that happen for you?
4: I do it because one, I'm anxious, <laughs> but two, it's because. I recognize the importance of customer service, you know mm-hmm. I, think, I think if you respond right away, it shows that you're invested and that you care, and that you know you're 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 ready to help somebody you know it's like you know if you have a complaint for Verizon and they don't you know answer your call for three days you know you might drop them you know, but if they're right there with you you, you know, there's like no wait time and they're they're helping you through fixing your you know t v um there's a lot of value there, and you appreciate it. You know, it's like GoDaddy's customer service. is probably the best customer service in the world, I think. And, mm. and, um, and because of that, it's like you can't leave them. And so for me, my version of customer service is you email me, you get an email back very quickly.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, also what And because I, got- if I don't
4: answer you quickly, then it just takes a long time for me to ever respond. So okay. that's my to- way of ensuring that I answer people's emails.
2: Okay, I wondered about that, too, and I totally understand that, Dan. I, I do understand that. And, but it also conveys to me, what I got out of it is, here's someone I can count on. Here's someone yeah, who, who, who is accountable, who is responsible, and, and it part of that, that that's what I've, I get out of your interactions via email, which I appreciate tremendously. Yeah, I
4: tremendously. Think that's probably had a pretty big, big impact in my career, too, is people know that if they email, they're going to get them back pretty quickly, and that gives them the assurance that I'm you know going to be there, and, and they're going to get their work done.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of email, one of the things I definitely have to talk about, and I'll just say it, I'm, I'm not ashamed of my age. I'm 50, you're 31. Um, I do want to talk about this whole notion of, of technology. And one of the things you do talk about is that you know the, that the millennials can teach Gen X and the baby boomers, boomers et cetera, how to use technology. And, and I, the first question I have for you is, it just seems like completely innate to your generation. And, and I, I mean, it's just baffling to me. Can you help us understand why do you think it is so so easy or seemingly so easy for your generation to use technology the way that you do?
4: Well, technology has flattened organizations. It's given people an unprecedented amount of access. There's a lot of value in technology in the way in which you can connect with people if you use it the right way. Um, I think it's I think older generations are using technology a lot more than they did. You know, five, ten years ago,
3: mm-hmm.
4: and they do it because in order to connect with the younger generation, their sons, daughters, and you know, coworkers, that's kind of mandatory at this point. Um, so I think using technologies for the benefit of your career, for the benefit of you know your organization or your personal life, is good. I think you know overusing it can be dangerous. We did a study of students, and 40% said that technology hurt, has hurt their soft skills. Their inability mm. to connect uh, in person, and I think that technology has made communication very impersonal. and And uh, it's been a challenge for a lot of people. It's been a challenge for me as well. And technology is only going to become more impersonal as we we move to wearables and you know, like eye watches and Google Glasses. Once we move to there, that's going to be you're going to be more impersonal. So that's kind of the scary part about our future.
2: All right. So I do want to cascade that forward and, and talk a little bit about what you think is coming here. So I have a 12-year-old daughter, and she does have her own cell phone. What I've noticed about her particular uh, group of girls that she goes to school with, they're sixth graders, they don't actually even seem to understand the idea of email. It's a just texting is their platform. Can you talk a little bit, and maybe I'm wrong about this, maybe this is too small a group to actually extrapolate from, but can you give us your perspective about what you see as how they're going to use technology going forward? That young group, I don't know if that's considered, what is it called? The Not the Y group, what's that next generation called? Generation Z. Z, okay. Help us understand, where do you think their technology train is going?
4: Yeah, so based on the research, we see that the top three social networks they use is Facebook, like everyone in the world, Facebook is number one by far for everyone, okay. uh, and then it goes Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, and then Snapchat, which is not owned by Facebook, but Facebook will pay it's tried to buy them for a billion dollars, and you know, I'm sure they're still trying to buy them because they're you know a threat. So they aren't really using email; they don't know what voicemail is. Um, so a lot of future communication will be short, concise, and and casual because that's what they're used to. Um, and I think it's going to be a rude awakening when they enter the workplace more so than millennials who still heavily use email. Because you know, you know, if we drop email, that's going to be a huge, huge shift. If that does happen, um, I think people aren't ready for it. I don't even think millennials are ready for it. Uh, but it could potentially be on the horizon because that's how the her generations behave.
2: So, what do you think the ramifications are in the in the workforce if if that does happen, where we kind of move away from email and move move more to these really small, little, short bits of exchange? What do you think the ramifications are for us?
4: Well, short term is, you know, it's going to be harder to get for them to get jobs and to be successful at work because the people who are still making the hiring and promotional decisions are. Executives who are mainly boomers, um, and those boomers have a certain expectation. And if and if you are a Gen Zer and you're just texting and uh, you know using Facebook instead of you know email and phone, you might not be able to get the same jobs that other people would get. So it could be a huge disadvantage.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: But you know more boomers retiring, then you're gonna have Gen X and Gen Y ruling companies. So. You know, things, things are constantly changing. It's hard to say how long this is going to, you know, how how long it will take for these changes to occur. But, you know, potentially they will occur and uh, could happen even faster than we think.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I thought, so it's interesting to hear you kind of confirm some of my suspicions. Uh, We're coming to the close of our hour here. I'd like to see if you could, for us, Dan, just maybe in about a minute or so or less, if you can just maybe give us your parting thoughts or pearls of wisdom that you really want to pass on to the listeners that you think might really help them along in their careers. What what would you say?
4: Uh, Start focusing on your career as early as possible. Don't be afraid to experiment and do freelance projects or do projects for your own brand, your own type of company. I would say the second thing is you know, really find your niche, find one specific area and one audience that can benefit from your expertise in that area, uh, and then really narrow that down and, and become that, you know, leading expert so you become more well-known in, in that industry and in that profession. And the third thing is, I think, you know, now is, is really a good time to put the put the work in. You know, I think a lot of people want to, you know, be overnight successes, but that never happens. So it's it's good to commit to success. It's a good to commit to, you know, putting the time in as early as possible. Um, because the more effort you put in earlier, the more it'll pay off later. Um, you know, my, you know, 23, 24 year old self has enabled me to, you know, have this type of career. Those decisions made when I was younger and maybe didn't even know it's better, um, you know, have really had a positive impact in my life.
2: Uh, what an amazing interview with you, Dan. I knew it would be. I was looking forward to this for quite some time. I really, really appreciate you having having you on the show. Great way to finish the conversation here. There were a lot of things that I took from what you said. Certainly, you know the notion of having somebody that inspires you. Tom Peters was a one one for you. Cultivating your network is really, really important, even when you get your job. Really important. Doing something that you would do anyway, and finding a way to monetize that. I think that was brilliant advice. So lots of really amazing tips in there for us, Dan. So thank you very much for being on the show. If you want to learn more about Dan and his books, you can go to his website, which is www.danschabel.com. So that's D-A-N-S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L.com. And then the other thing I would encourage you to do is go go check out his new offering, uh, that new advisory membership service. It's workplacetrends.com. Check that out as well. I think that's pretty interesting. Next week, we're going to be hearing from somebody on the on the other end of the on the other end of things. Her name is Ali Teagues. She is the executive director of an organization called Window on a Wider World, or WOW, for short. What's great about her story is that she's someone who opted to go ahead and focus on her family and her marriage for the first several years of her life, and only at age forty-two started her her um, college and her career. So she's a great example for those of you that are focused on family. There's a way for you to, to achieve your life dreams as well, so stick with it. And remember, work is one-third of our lives, so let's work
1: on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.